Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hit Different Podcast with me, Marky Carl. This week, Andy Hazel on debut and Jenea the Slayer Turner. What are we going to talk about? Great question. Glad you asked. Lady Gaga's efforts with the Top Gun original soundtrack. Hold my hand. Not so good. Uh, secondly, Andy will lead us talking about mid-career bands and how they kind of reinvent themselves and then kind of go back to the original invention that they had. And then we're getting into the career of Janaya Turner, formerly of One Little Indian, amazing uh, artist manager. A whole bunch of things like that. You have arrived. You were talking to us. It is the Hit Different Podcast. It's a fun little vibe. It's just a good little hang with the occasional hot take, uh, sometimes tepid takes, but mainly sort of scolding, boiling hot. I'm joined today by Andy Hazel. Hello, Andy. Hey, Mikey. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a thrill to be here on my very first Hit Different. Long-time listener, first-time mic controller. Eventually, you will replace me. Like, like <laughs> so, <laughs> so <No>. strap in, <laughs> strap in. <laughs> Irreplaceable, Mikey. You are many things and one of them is irreplaceable. Janaya Turner, uh, new vibe in Old Blighty. How are you over there, my love? Oh, good. Thank you. And also thank you for having me on. It's good to be speaking to you again. You're our first uh, repeat offender, you know. You've <laughs> just when she thought she was out. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. We, we had you IRL in Melbourne at the Live Hit Different podcast where you gave us all the tea. You're practically a one-woman twinings, uh, and today we're, hope, we're <laughs> hoping for more of that sweet action. So uh, in a second, we're going to be talking about Gaga's effort on Top Gun after these uh, very short musical bits. Hey, y'all. All right, friends. So Lady Gaga. I, I rate her very, very highly with a slight asterisk. There's always something about her that... She doesn't always cut through for me. Sometimes I just find the histrionics a bit too much. Look, I dig telephone. I, I dig, uh, you know, bad romance, things like that. There's just a, sometimes there's just a little bit of a thing that holds me back with Gaga. I love Shallow, award-winning. I tell you what else was award-winning. Take My Breath Away by Berlin in the original Top Gun soundtrack. He won a Golden Globe. It won the fucking Oscar. Okay, and yes, Berlin kind of a bit one-hit wondery, but uh, Gaga's had a crack. She's had a, She's got a song called Hold My Hand, for the Top Gun original soundtrack. Unfortunately, it sucks. It sucks all of the balls. It finds new balls to suck. Uh, She says, when I wrote this song for Top Gun, Maverick, I didn't even realize the multiple layers it spanned across the film's heart, my own psyche, and the nature of the world we've been living in. Now, you've got to back that up with a great track, okay? She's been working on it for years, perfecting it. All of this is just classic overthink, right? Uh, I'm so grateful to Tom and Hans and Joe for this opportunity. See, this is this track has been done by committee. That's what I'm getting from this. What I'm gleaning from this, it's like everyone's just had their little, their little, um, you know, middle management kind of. Maybe I'll just prove my, <laughs> prove that I should be in the studio today with on, on a per diem, uh, and I guess <laughs> this is my issue with the song. I'm listening to it. I've listened to it six times today, and it needs a fucking edit. Like it, it's it. You know, truly, it, it's in the, it's in the shadow of shallow. I get that, and also take my breath away. Uh, but there's a line in it. I'll quickly read this out before I, I ask your opinion. Look into my wishful eyes. Wrap me in your aching arms. Like, it just reminds me of when I was having to, like, tutor this year eight kid out in Beaconsfield. And this kid wanted none of my none of my big <laughs> words, none of my little words. He was not interested. He just wanted to get stoned. God bless him. Uh, like his older brother, which I used to get stoned with his older brother. It was a, it was a time. But wishful <laughs> eyes, aching arms. 
it, that those kind of there's that real kind of groan moments in this song, and it tries to be bombastic. It tries to sort of go, you know, sort of reach for the stars, and it just it's not the '80s anymore. It's very hard to recreate that sound. M83 does a good job of it sometimes. People like that. But what did you guys make of this track? I couldn't even listen to it all. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really disliked it. Um, and so, you know, I'm here in my little like post baby bubble. And so I've kind of taken that time as I was talking about before to just listen to what I feel like listening to. So I'm not always like abreast of what's going on right now in terms of what's the latest release. So I had to listen to this for the, and I couldn't even get to the end of it. And no, I mean, like, no shade to her at all. Like, you know, she's doing her thing. I was on, I listened on Spotify and I think she's got some like 21 million followers. Like, good for you. You know what I mean? She's done. She's got a great career. She's doing great. But when reading that thing about it, sometimes you think, like, I mean, my experience of working with artists or even being an artist myself back in the old, old day, if someone's been sitting around and it hasn't worked, (laughs) usually just don't try and polish it. Just leave it, you know? It was one of those songs for me that um, it was almost like that thing where, you know, I kind of, so like I emerge from the deep and listen to music sometimes and that music can kind of come back with me under the water. It has to be <laughs> something that feels like my first thought was that I'm vibrating on a completely different energy sphere to this track. It doesn't seem to even go at like energy of the life that I'm living. Does I don't know how to make it make any more sense than that. No, but then well. like talking about other um great like soundtrack songs and i was playing other things and it's like no it's not the mood i'm in so i'm listening to things with completely different rhythms beat style genres and i can get them but this just feels like it didn't come from a place of breathing and then yes. imagining the track it just felt like it was just getting the, there was one layer of like hype and then another layer went on top of it and another layer went on top of it and then it's so far removed from anything that yeah. You know, yeah, no, sorry. For me, it was a pass, and I hope I never have to hear it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm predicting that we're all going to have to hear it again at the Oscars next year where it's going to get nominated for Best Song if we're watching it. I mean, that's just the way these things roll. Will it get nominated? Will it get nominated? I think it would have to be. It'll be in the shortlist for sure. You can't – it doesn't matter the quality of it. You get Beyonce's song from the last Lion King or Billie Eilish's Snooze Fest from the last Bond movie, (laughs) and I think this is just going to join them. I just think like she's too big. Plus, there's a sense that she's she because she missed out on Best Actress for House of Gucci, and it feels like she's probably spent way too much time on that Italian accent and not really enough time writing this song, if she's been working on it for years. Yeah, it's weird. Which songs do you do, do you dig, Andy? Well, I feel like there's it's hard to get a good one these days because, like you were saying, it's like song by committee. But when you get mm. like a a film production team involved in a song as well, that committee gets even bigger. So that I feel like the song gets watered down even more. Mm-hmm. So you end up having this song that isn't really pleasing anybody, but it's something that can be promoted and marketed. And I feel like the, so most of those songs, I think occasionally you get a good one through. Like I thought Adele's Skyfall song was quite cool. And Agree. Yeah. I love yeah. Skyfall. Like, and it yeah. was so perfect for Bond. And it was so perfect for that particular film. And his character exploration that you went on on that film, like it had Ooh. all of that in that song. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it also had, a, it, I think it had a Porter's Head style bass line as well. Oof, that yes. just was like exa- exactly the right mood, I thought, for that song. So I know, occasionally you get stuff like that through. But like you were saying, like the original Top Gun soundtrack sold like 9 million copies and it did for a reason because it had 
Danger Zone on it and that Berlin tr- track and a whole bunch of like you've lost that loving feeling. It just had a really great mix of tunes. Yeah. Whereas this feels like it's comes out of the marketing department. Comes out of someone's, <laughs> someone's ass. Uh, Kenny Loggins Danger Zone. That's just like we talk about the vibration. How like we none of it, none of us are really vibrating on a danger zone energy, right? As soon as we listen <laughs> to that track, we are in from the fucking get go. Yeah. And he's such an odd looking character in in his clips. He's just so cocksure. He's kind of like pre Hama superstar, kind of ugly hot. <laughs> um, yes, that's you know what I mean. Cool. You know what I mean. Like um, he's just and because he because he has he has that. What else does he have? I think he um no Joe Esposito has that. You're the best around. What else does Kenny, Kenny Loggins has? Footloose? Is that oh, right? Yeah. And the yeah, Loggins so, and Cena stuff, yeah. And what, what else does he have? Because he's the kind of guy that would, they need a kind of a Kenny Loggins to come in and go, Gaga, start again. This is no cool. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you need something. He's got, yes, he's, I mean, I didn't realize he has the greatest hits. I'm sure it's um, really good. And <laughs> Berlin have the greatest hits too, which I didn't know because I only know Take My Breath Away from Berlin. Oh, Dancing in Berlin was their other hit, I think, as well. Oh, yes. But not yes. as many people remember that. But I think the main yeah. thing, I think what we're kind of all getting at is the fact that there is so much doubt in this song. It's kind of weird. Like the lyrics yes. are, I know you're scared and your pain is imperfect and it's all about crying tears and stuff. Like at what stage was anybody doubting anything in Top Gun? It's all about confidence like incarnate like you can't get any more confident than maverick and iceman and even looking at the premise for the new top gun maverick it's all about you know him teaching this whole new bravado filled bunch of potential pilots so i don't know who she's singing this about i'm kind of worried about the movie now because all the footage from it looks so exciting and so like we could all do with a bit of confidence right now a bit of yeah She's stuck two years ago she's throwing the whole world under the bus she says this song is a love letter to the world during and after a very hard time Lady, we are sick of talking about the sea bomb, the dreaded, okay? <laughs> we want to move on with our lives. And this this takes us back. It's called Hold My Hand. It actually should be called Drag You Down. Because <laughs> that's... <laughs> I feel like you're getting like pulled into a swamp here with Gaga. Also with her, like, you know, her whole thing is... I feel like her whole career is about being put, trying on different personas, right? That's, isn't that her shtick? That, like, she yeah, yeah, puts yeah. these things on, she tries these different personas... Which is why the acting just felt like a really natural progression of that. But then to do something in earnest without the irony, to go with something that is, you know, I mean, or you could have done it with irony. I mean, you could have just, but you need to, you need to start from a base of reality and truth, I think, yes. sometimes. Yes. And I yeah, think yeah. maybe she was just in the wrong persona when she made the song. Like it just, it didn't. Like, you know, for me, like, one of the best soundtrack songs is Pharrell's Happy. Like, to me, yeah. that just hit yeah, sure. a kind of, yeah. like, you know those songs that hit a life truth? Like, they yes. just hit something that's true about life, and you can just, you understand where he was singing that from and how you actually respond to it, identify it, and it kind of, the song is in you when you hear it. And this mm. was the complete opposite of that, because I feel like, I don't know, and, and I think when you were sound, Shallows was an amazing song, and I love that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I just that that seemed like she was coming, maybe because on that film her character was more earnest. I mean, I don't know how does she. I, I want. I just. I'm quite curious about where she does. Everything start from a character who is. Who is she underneath yeah. it all? Has anything been written from just that place? Is it all been? I, think, I don't. I don't know what a process is. 
To me, a red flag is working with a guy called Blood Pop, B L W D, capital P, Blood Pop, and Ben Rice. That ain't Tim Rice, my friends. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, yeah. she, she, I think she's worked with the wrong people. And I think all these people are too fucking rich. This is the issue. When a, when a whole bunch of rich people are in a room, they can get an okay idea and get it into a, a good place, but it's still just an okay idea. Happy, uh, you know, like, feeling like a house without a roof. Like that, that's that's a lyric for the ages. They just, my dad messaged on the WhatsApp group. He was like, guys, I've heard this song. I don't know whether you know it. It's by Feral Williams. It's called Happy and I just love it. <laughs> it's been yeah. played 35 million times on YouTube. Um, can you believe, I just, and I, I, I DJ a lot of weddings, which I, this is the, the sentence I say every week on this podcast, but <laughs> that all, that never fails because it gets, it gets rid of everyone's cool. Everyone just goes, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, very, very cool. You have to um, come from truth with stuff like that. Like, and I, you know, but then, I mean, this is me being biased. That's the kind of music that just resonates with me. But I think every genre I can think of, you could be the hardest core, most like intense rap track or like the most like thrilling pop track. To me, they still have to come from that same place. Like, um, and so. Yeah, I just, I, it didn't, it just didn't work for me. And I was like looking at some of the other, um, my favorite, some of my other favorite soundtracks. Um, have you seen the film Wonder Boys? It's one of my favorite films ever with yeah, um, Michael yeah, yeah. Douglas and the Bob Dylan things has, have changed. Like that is just, and it just again works so well with the storyline, with the idea of like, you know, Professor Tripp, this washed up, like, you know, Tudor has no idea where he's going in life. And, He's, you know, and then you've got like the um, Robert Downey Jr. character who's just like pure trouble come to town. Mm-hmm. And that song has, is like about, like, it feels like about, to me, when I listen to it, it makes me feel about the kind of the weird little fun, quirky parts of life. And mm. like almost yeah, looking back totally. on your life with like a wry smile and yes. a, probably like a glass of whiskey in hand, like that kind of vibe. <laughs> Uh, yeah. like Andy, Andy Hazel could get pour you some very nice whiskeys and oh, yeah. scotches. We should, do, we, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> Next time you're back in town, <laughs> book a flight right now. That's all I'm saying. We're in London. We're in London. London. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now that's such an interesting call that you mentioned Wonder Boys because that's got an incredible soundtrack. And it was things have changed. Was was the song that um, Björk to the best song Oscar in 2001? I'm pretty sure when she was nominated oh, for really? the Dance from the Dark. Yeah. So mm-hmm. interesting I, that you should. If only we were able to talk about Bjork in a little while, friends. Oh, we, which which we will. <laughs> you can check out other podcasts from Mushroom, some of my best work with Jane Rocker, 180 Grams with me, or One Guitar. Just search for Mushroom Studios in your podcast app. In just a moment, we're going to be talking about the return of Arcade Fire. They got a little bit too earnest on us. Yeah, let's all agree on that. Have they come back with something with, with truth, with, with beauty, with all those things uh, in just a moment? Welcome back to Hit Different, vibing this episode big time already. Poor partner's upstairs. She needs to come down and heat up our food. Everything's <laughs> running late. <laughs> I blame Apple iPad. So let's crack on. Uh, Andy Hazel, Arcade yes. Fire, talk to us. Bebe. 
Well, okay, so one thing I was noticing in this week, uh, so Arcade Fire have got an album coming out later this week, WE, um, and also in this week we've got Chick 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 and Bell and Sebastian releasing albums. Block Party released an album last month and Spoon a couple of months before that along with the Wombats, the Libertines and Interpol. They've got albums coming out later this year. Arctic Monkeys do as well, and they're touring. And a few months before they're touring, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's are touring. So there's this whole thing of this industry, and I can't work out, and this is what I'm hoping that you guys can help with. Is this just a nostalgia factory, or are there actually new listeners and people discovering these bands that we all, you know, grew up with, or at least in some of cases, some of us um, actually had, you know, working relationships with? And so I'm just very curious as how people think these bands have aged, and have they just kind of kept a, fa- a slowly diminishing fan base, or is it actually growing? Because in the case of something like Arcade Fire's album, people are like, "Oh, it sounds like Funeral again," and everyone's excited yes. about that. So. Is this sort of nostalgia. just a conservative um, nostalgia industry? Yeah. Great question. Nostalgia has always been a big business, particularly during lockdown where Facebook was reminding us of all these memories. People were going through their old uh, albums. A lot of people were reconnecting and saying, you know, sort of just coming out of the woodwork to sort of be with each other online <laughs> as opposed to IRL and then eventually hopefully IRL. With what you're saying, I think a lot of the playlists offer up to a younger generation, you know, songs that were kind of <laughs> golden oldies hits for us, you know, for yeah, people that are like yeah. 20, 20 years younger than I'm, I'm 44. I think you're about the same age, Andy, a little bit younger than me. So specifically to, to Arcade Fire, they have given us something which I think taps into that truth and taps into, there's a bit of a sort of a vampire weekend kind of like not taking themselves too seriously uh, on that last record. Um, and even um, what's his name Ezra he, he, he did this little interlude on the on the, on the uh, vampire he, I think I was taking myself too seriously again to be so serious and I love he threw, he, he threw yeah. that in it's was, it was just a dope little thing to throw in and when I heard this Arcade Fire track which had the name of it uh, it's, it's three tracks they've dropped isn't it I don't want to yeah, get, light, there's a lightning I don't want to get one, in this window the lightning two. an unconditional lookout kid is the third yeah one. yeah I got some Smashing Pumpkins kind of vibe too from this. And Pumpkins, you know, they just, their mistake was they just kept putting out worse and worse albums and Billy <laughs> Corbin's head went further and further up his up his behind. But I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm digging this Arcade Fire stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think they're going to have a very successful sort of return. Yeah, me too. But Janae, what do you think? Is, is it a good thing that they're sounding like they did in 2005? I look, this band can do no wrong with me. So <laughs> you'll get it. There'll be nothing bad said about them for me. I love <laughs> this band. One of my favourite bands to ever work with. Super, feel just so honoured and proud to have worked with them. They're such lovely, lovely people. And Ooh. I feel like um, I love these songs coming from them right now. Unfortunately, they just played London last week. They played Coco, tiny little show. And little me was still, I, I missed it because I had a sick child. Um, we've only just emerged from our cocoon, um, two days ago. I love these songs, but I think this, the reason why they're still able to make songs that kind of like sound relevant and are relevant and just can still get you is because of who they are as a band. They do their tours, they do their music. My experience of them is they have, really cool i mean very artistic and like fun creative lives at home but my experience is not trying to live some like rock and roll life or Mm. you know where they're getting distracted so when they go to record an album it's still i didn't work with them on the first album or knew them before then but i imagine it's kind of coming from the same place so the songs still sound true and i was just listening to a little bit of 
an interview with Wynn before this, like just talking about how, where he was when he was writing, like his approach to writing one of the songs. And it's still unbelievably self-reflective in a really nice way and mm. honest in a really open way. And I think if you can keep retaining that, then it helps you to become, it helps your music to stay the same. I think what happens sometimes is when people get caught up in an image that they've projected that they feel like they need to manage, then sometimes yes. the songs don't get written from the same place because they still have that same thing. And they were like band of people, like, you know, like when just, you know, like I, was, I had a memory of him today. I was like, you know, if he's just uh, something, I remember just something that like an experience I had with him, that he's someone who holds himself accountable. They're just good people. <laughs> Cause I was just thinking today, actually, they're one of the artists. There are no flinches when I think back to like my entire Ooh. time with them, Like they're really lovely. And, um, and I was just thinking about this little moment where of this thing that happened where like, you know, they, to me, they were just like, you know how like any of your good friends are when that you have something and you go through something and you reflect and you can like self correct and, you yeah. know, and I think that that's really important. So that probably helps them stay where that they just feel like normal people to me. There's no, there's no smoke and mirrors with them. Mm. And so maybe that's why the music just like the albums always sound good to me. There's no, there's just no pretense or working with the latest this in an attempt to be something yeah. else or a, the songs st still seem to start from the same place. Mm. And then talking about that whole nostalgia thing, I think yeah, it's definitely one of it. But also before us, there was that thing where, you know, when you hit our ages now, the impulse for labels would be like, okay, they're gone. Let's concentrate on the younger next lot mm -hmm. coming up. Mm -hmm. But however, we are now the one, we're still buying the albums, buying the tickets to the shows. Because if you imagine that the bands that broke around that time that you're talking about are some of the biggest bands in the world. Mm. I was doing a, um, a little talk thing before Big Sound. And, you know, I was doing some research and this was last year. But at the time, it was like something like 70% of the revenue made was made by like something like 80% of those acts were broke when CD was still the dominant medium. These are some of the biggest fans making the biggest money and their fans are our age inclusive. Then there's no reason for them to go away. We're still, we're still consuming that music. We're still very much a part of. That we've not been replaced by 20 year olds who don't actually consume music in the same way all the time. So, um, I think that's also part of it. We're a very important demographic of the music buying public. And so, of course, those bands that we're following will still have a life because the money's still coming in with them. I mean, to put it as crudely as that, that I think that is a big part of it. I was desperate to go see them um, last week. I couldn't make it. I can't wait to see them when they come back. And it was such a great era of music at that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I was, I'm thinking of like, you know, I'd love to see Fleet Foxes. I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing, um, you know, I had tickets to see Bonnie there in Australia and it got cancelled because of bloody COVID. <laughs> um, but, you know, like all of those acts from around those times, and you used to talk about Vampire Weekend with another great one. That was such an exciting time in music because, and also I think the reason why we have those kind of nostalgic, like exciting lifetimes is because we can associate actual live shows with that. Yes. Because yeah, these yeah. were bands that had, were traditionally 
kind of were explored lives. So we have that excitement about your memory kind of hooks on to those. I just remember being in New York, hanging out with the bands at CMJ and going from show to show to show to show to show. There was also like Porter O'Brien was another one that I was obsessed with and loved. And just, yeah, bands from that era. And it was just a really exciting time to see shows. There were a lot of festivals that kind of lumped them in together. So you have festival memories of seeing all these bands. I think that's all part and parcel. It was before the internet had consumed us as well. You think about that. Now the internet has gobbled us up. You know what I mean? And I reckon what we've done as well, a lot of people, we've come out of this sort of two-year brain fog of pandemic less cynical. Yeah. We're cynical. So we're listening to music now and we're not going, oh, fuck, that sounds a bit too much like funeral or that sounds a bit too yeah. much like belt block party helicopter. We're just going, you know what? Let's have a go. Let's have a crack. And if I can see this live, I'm going to absolutely, you know, have the best night of my life. And I think that's what, you know, all these bands are coming. I also really like the fact that they've not put out album, like just banging out albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I've been thinking about them. Like, like when will yeah, yeah, yeah's come back? Oh, they're coming back. They're coming back when the time is right for them. And I think Arcade Fire, the same deal. They're coming back when, when they feel like, yeah, we've got something to say. And, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not just jumping on the latest trend. We're, we're going to do something that's, that you're going to dig because we're going to really, really, you know, make it the best thing we can possibly make in 2022. It's a really good point about the coming out of the pandemic less cynical. It's really interesting. It's a really good point. Thanks, Like A shift in <laughs> – it's almost been like a shift in the – because I guess the years before that were like the years of irony, right? And maybe that shifted yep. us out of it. Yeah, let's stick around and find out. <laughs> you were great. That was a great, was a great curveball. It was a great curveball. Um, you talk about uh, Fontaine's DC as well. Um, Fontaine's DC released their album Skinty Fear, which I'm pretty sure I've pronounced wrong. I'm pretty sure if you pronounce that with a strong Irish accent, you'll get closer to what... Skinty Fury. Skinty Fury. Get me a fucking pain in the Guinness. Keep going. Yeah, that sort of thing. Anyway, that so that like debuted at number two in the UK charts and it went you know really well in Australia. And so there's obviously a big the guitar rock sound that they've got is like pretty you know people, a lot of people seem to like it. I'm pretty sure the people who are buying or downloading or streaming their stuff are not you know all our age are like over forty. Yeah. So and they they seem to put on a great live show. So I'm thinking, is is there a potential for there to be another kind of Stroke style explosion and then a big wave of guitar? led music after that guitars um, look so damn cool when you play a guitar cool, like, on stage they yeah. look cool they sound amazing and they're so sexual i think that's a really important thing too because we've been like the people who haven't been able to date you know people that hooked up pretty like so many people have broken up like it's just all these things have gone on something so unhinged and wonderfully uh liberated about a guitar i think i'm hoping fontaine's dc i think we probably need another idols i don't mind i'm i've I'm a little bit uh, not cynical, but idols I kind of see through. I see through a little bit. Whereas Fontaine's DC, I feel like they've got a bit more to say in a less kind of woke, for one of a better term, way. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. mm. yeah. Because you still have bands like Haim. You know, they'll still do really well every time they put a record out, and everyone seems to yep. know who they are. Yeah, um, and there's a few other bands like you know Parquet Courts, someone like that will do pretty well, and they will always you know sell out decent sized shows. And I feel like that sound is still there, but I'm just not sure like whether a whole bunch of new musicians are picking up guitars and doing that, or if it or if they just kind of prefer to work with Ableton Live on their laptops and just do their own thing rather than form a band. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think in the same way that you're talking about, like, uh, this, which I'm going to be thinking about this a lot, about how we've entered into this new age of being less cynical. I think now, post-pandemic, people are, there is a drive to go out, connect and be at shows. And so that may be something that will inspire one band that are already out there, like, coming back because, 
people I think there will be more of a demand for a live experience and live experience with you know live instruments is pretty unbeatable and also then people going to see that that might inspire people to pick up that more so this may be the thing that ushers in more of a guitar sound again go toe-to-toe with dance EDM backed thing that we've been you know hip-hop backed beat type of music that we've been listening to yeah. or you know interesting hybrids to come out of that you know i'll be yeah. interested mm. to see where it goes i think there's yeah. gonna be a little bit of a lag too because there's not as the ecosystems have to build themselves again where yes bands, you know bands need mm. to play 20 20 30 40 shows before they get good and they're not yeah. being able to do that and you know <laughs> rehearsing and oh god rehearsing via zoom you know put a gun <laughs> in my mouth <laughs> yeah it's my only suicidal reference uh this whole hit different um <laughs> ever really uh, very, very cool. I, wouldn't it be cool, though, yeah, for the sort of the stroke style boom to happen again, boom, and just in general for all these bands to be coming back and people are kind of, we're kind of all rubbing our eyes a little bit and stepping out into the world and going, you know what, G- give it to me. Uh, you know, we, you, you can see through bullshit pretty quick. You can see through if something is um, a facsimile of what something was. Yeah, I think we've got high hopes for that one. My friends, hey, in just a moment, Janaea Turner, the star of the show, who's been incredibly patient as uh, an unnamed Schmeverschreid <laughs> died on my iPad. It's probably my fault, guys, let's be real. Uh, just after this uh, short messages. Here we are, Janaea Turner, our first repeat offender. So you work with independent label One Little Indian Records. You were a product manager of the global roster before going on to run almost gold recordings for Europe. I just want to know, Janaea Turner, what made you go, I'm going to go manage some artists? Like, who are the people that brought you into that into that world? And what, what made you continue? So when I was at One Little, well, they're now One Little Independent, but they were then called One Little Indian. When I was there, so I was working with, like, some bands that I just, like, loved to pieces. Hats off to Derek. Derek Burkett. He runs a company and he now he also manages uh, Bjork and has worked with her since the beginning. You know, at the time, he, he it was one of those places, because I imagine you take up a job product managing at university, you just got to do what's lumped on your desk. I think I was handy when I first started, because I'd obviously worked there before. That was my first job I ever did was with them. I was like writing fanzines, putting on these like band club nights and living my life and decided one day oh I just feel like working at a label it'd be good to work at record label and sent out my bizarre CV I mean I look back I wish I had a copy of this thing it was insane by some miracle uh it was one of those ones where I, I it was like almost like a pictographic CD so underneath like you know where education was I had a picture of Brixton Academy and, like that was mm-hmm. my learning was my <laughs> Qualifications underneath <laughs> it, um, and then like you know, intro- I like pictures of like Nina Simone and Otis Redding on it. This is my CV, but anyway, a week later I was working there. I returned there as a product manager. There were a few artists that I was working with who didn't have managers, so I was effectively managing them in a certain way, as well as product managing them because I'd have to encourage them to tour and where to tour. You know, these artists had you know, were very fresh, new. One of them was Dan Sartain, who I just absolutely adored. So, you know, I really enjoyed that side of it. I loved being band-facing. I loved working and helping to shape career paths. Jeff Klein was another one, although he had a manager at the time. And at the time, it, there was a label downstairs and upstairs. The office was, there was Scott, who ran Quest Management out of there. 
who at the time was managing Bjork at the time. And so I, um, you know, and I was, you know, I was very much in awe of what he did. Scott is a great manager. And so, you know, I was just like, oh, I'd love to do that. And, but I had, didn't have any experience, you know, I only had the experience at the label. I hadn't managed an act independently. And so after a few years, I left and took on a band called Sam Champion from New York. And they were coming up while Vampire Weekend, Weekend were coming up. Um, it was that time. It was that particular time when those kinds of sounding bands were coming up. And I loved this band. They were great. Um, we didn't really, we didn't have much success. They ended up signing to Razor and Tie, who were famous for Kids Bop, which was a big kind of, um, you know, cash cow. Um, mm. and so, and that's how I got into it. I, I managed them and broke the first cardinal, cardinal rule that Scott had given me, which was other people's money. You don't put your own money into it. I put all my money into them and oh, like lost, <laughs> lost all my money. And then that's when, um, I ended up. I've done this now. I'd like to kind of do this where I'm not just buying my own money. And I ended up going to Quest and working with Arcade Fire. And wow. I did, Scott did hand me almost gold to run. And Bjork was there still. And I had my first management experience with MIA. So I did all of that then. And it was just, it was, it was kind of, it came out of that. I really loved, because I like the strategy of management and I like the challenge of you need to generate enough cash for these people to survive. You need to help them like monetize their art. You need to have a strategy in how you're going to approach things. It's all about like creating value from something that is a little bit intangible music. Mm. I, I just really enjoyed that. And I was, I really loved working with artists. And I think it was because up until that point, I got to work with the ones that I really loved. I'm not yeah. the kind of person who could manage an artist because they were big and had loads of money and I didn't like the music. I, it just wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. What's the, your first day on the job where you, you're like, hey, we need you to um, organise this film clip that Arcade Fire are going to shoot or just a similar kind of anecdote where you're like, oh, shit, all right, now I've got to really put my money where my, not my money where my mouth is, you did that already. Now, <laughs> I've, re- now, I, now I've really got to step up and kind of, like, like everyone that's, got any job ever that they felt is either sort of above their pay grade slash above their abilities have had that moment where it's like I've got to step up and I've got to be that person tell us about those those first moments if you can Janaya there were so many of those <laughs> I remember what it was quite early on where Bjork was going to do a talk at the EU about fracking because they were going to start fracking in Iceland and she was really opposed to it so she's going to go do a talk there and then go back to Iceland, do something with all the heads of businesses in Iceland to try and figure out a way that they could um, respond to this threat that was coming to Iceland. And she was going to do a speech. And it's like, Jane, you need to go and do this with her. You need to help prepare for this. And it's like, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> what, what? What exactly am I going to do there? So that was an interesting one. I think one of the ones where it was quite tough, I remember having a meeting about it was... I think this was when we were doing, it was when we were doing Reflector, wasn't it? So it was when we were doing the Reflector albums. This was, I'd already done the suburbs of Arcade Fire and was kind of like, you know, really excited about this. But this time I was leading it from the beginning. I had to handle X New York, X North America. It's like, okay, I had ideas and like, okay, well, you run with them. And I had to do a meeting. Universal had changed heads. And um, I had to go and do a meeting where the band wanted to set off a very big and very expensive campaign 
with chalk drawings that were going to appear around the world at the same time. It was like a viral thing. And that was how to set off the album. And so trying to get, you know, and there's like, you know, practical things like rain. So I remember going and having a um, talk with, you know, this new head at um, Universal, one of the heads, and he was just like non-board. It almost became like a standoff at like in the meeting where all these other people, so I suddenly realized the room was silent. This guy was like, you know, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to do it like that. And it's like, well, actually, it's going to happen. This is how the band want to do it. And this is how I think we can do it. And I won't back down. And that was one of those moments where I, mean, I, I don't even, I don't even say I, I felt nervous because I knew this is what the band wanted. And my thing, the band wants it, the band gets it. And that's how I yeah. always approached everything. Yes. <laughs> but it was, it was still a bit like, it was when I noticed that the room was silent and everyone was looking really uncomfortable. I was like, shit, okay, this is a kind of a serious moment and I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. We ended up getting the band got what they wanted in the end. Fuck yeah, you did. I remember it. Do you remember it, Andy? I loved it. I remember like walking around, walking around Melbourne and and yeah, and seeing them. And I was like, and I was just, I was so excited because it was great. It was just this, you know, this, you know, this real chalky chalk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a really great way, and it was very visceral and tangible and all those things. You know, it was tactile. You got and can touch it. Yeah, I remember being like around Hardware Lane in Melbourne and uh, and really thinking this is amazing. And then to have a David Bowie connection with the record, like it was all great. The whole yeah. the whole thing was just like a, a proper step up. So it was just mm. nice, you know, to have like be part of something like that that was so big. There was such a weight on it as well. And the other thing I had to do was like this was when streaming was becoming a big thing because the album before that was still largely physical product. So suddenly we're at a thing where we're having to deal with the fact that streaming was eating into sales, like how to deal with that. And my thing was always to like try and do something that was a little bit more global and like involve the other territories and, you know, where they were big. Like, can we like look at touring in a slightly different way than we had before? And it was like, okay, you want to do this? Run with it. So that was a bit of a pressure because it was like, okay, I was doing all these things. Had it not panned out in the sales, you know, at the end, it would have been, you know, a bit scary. But, you know, I had that freedom and it was like, so I was going to put everything into it. So that was a bit of a big gulp moment. What what was the upshot with, with this with this guy just quickly, with the, the, you know, this guy that was like, no, not happening, Janae, in a different accent, obviously. But what was he... <laughs> How did it plan out? Did he ever give you the old good job there? You know, I, I was wrong, you were right. In the end, he kind of conceded and I had actual ways of breaking it down, how it could work. So it was like, that's all he needed to listen to. It's like, this was not like me coming in pie in the sky. This is how we do it. And this is how we run it so that like it actually has an impact as we're doing it. He conceded, but there was no, no, you never got a pat on the head. I mean, there was even the thing where like I would, I remember getting in between campaigns, kind of getting a little bit bored. And so I'd come up with campaign ideas for other artists and I'll send it round to like, you know, heads of like different companies and stuff. Or, you know, there was one idea I'd sent to Kanye and I was, I said to, I said to him, like, it'd be so cool because he was someone that I'd met through like when I was working with MIA and I needed to go to his house to film him. I, so I sent this to Kanye, I had this idea. How about you set up like base somewhere and you, make this like a creative hub like a creative base and so you record your album there 
you while you're recording your album there you have like you know one floor you've got studios for recording an album there you could like monetize it by filming the process and like having that going out live and then you could do it in a way where there was a like almost like you could have people every day who would be allowed to come and watch you in the studio as you're recording so they could kind of see that happening live and so there was that element of it. Maybe you could do it at a house with like glass and people could hear it from behind a speaker or something like that. And then they could also watch. There's like a, another story where people are making T-shirts or you can have photographers f- photographing the process as you're doing it and creating like, you know, art books and stuff that comes out as part of your recording process, etc. You could be doing artwork on another level. And that's something else that you monetize around that. So you've got like one space, one creative hub, and you can have this live aspect of it where people can come by and see it. So I sent it to him and I didn't hear anything back from him. And he released his next album, which at the time I think was the Good Music album. And so I was like, okay, he's not he's not using my idea. So then I sent the idea to Jason Eiley, who was then like at Universal, like heading up. And I sent him another idea about like um, these nights that you could have, like um, in this point where like people can't, get like when you were trying to get more global ways of having more eyes on in terms of releases and how you could have these events that could get people involved and excited and like linking up via computer screens giant computer screens in venues like um across the world and like an artist coming in to speak to their fans in person at one place and also like kind of like in video in another place anyway so i sent the the other one to um jason eiley and Regine, who was also like did PR with him, also did PR for PJ Harvey. And then years later, I saw that PJ Harvey used the idea. She had that thing where she was recording and people could like kind of, I think there was like ticketed where they could come and watch her in the recording process. And that was part of the thing. But I never got any credit for that idea or anything. <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah. you just put it out there. But at the time I used to do stuff like that just to keep myself like keep my mind agile with ideas yes. to just kind of yes. come up with mm. them, send them out. And then you'd see stuff happening that was your idea, but obviously it's gone through loads of people. You don't get any credit for it, but it was just kind of exciting. So. Mm. Yeah, time. that's awesome. And, and that, that openness is now a big part of those demo albums that where she's been re- which she's been releasing recently. And then Kanye the- had his whole Wyoming thing and then also setting up bass in a stadium has kind of utilised that idea in a way, I guess, eventually. <laughs> yeah. So Pay Janae, Yizzy. Pay this letter her money. <laughs> <laughs> With the PJ Harvey thing too. It doesn't suit her to do an Amanda Palmer style parlor gig and be like right in there with fans and, you know, certain artists. So PJ, she can keep them at a distance, but also, you know, continue to to be relevant for want of a better term. Uh, So that's obviously, oh my God, she's, yeah, the only only double Mercury Prize winner in Australia, Sampa the Great, only only dual uh, amp winner as well. You turned your attention to doing a, um, I guess, kind of a, a cool kids album. Is this is this correct, Janae? Yeah, it's uh, the thing that's like, you know, I'm just hoping I'm not going the way of Chinese democracy. <laughs> or <laughs> hold my hand. <laughs> so most of the songs are in. I've got a few artists who are delivering things. Pete Doherty's supposed to be recording a track. I've got Richie from Arcade Fire who's delivering a track. Wynn Bennett from Twin Shadow is doing a track. Um, and Dan Mangan is also, he already has a track, he's going to adapt it. So those are coming in. I'm doing that, but I'm also doing this kind of animated thing that I'm doing with it. And I'm working with these artists. Yes. 
you know, working with artists that I found on Instagram and it's so difficult because, you know, they'll just drop off the face of the earth and then, you know, one of them, I haven't heard from her, like she popped up like last week after not hearing from her for a month, for a month to say that, you know, um, she'll get me some things, you know, in two days time. I haven't heard anything since. There's a first track that I plan to release by Jeff Klein, and it's phenomenal. He did yeah. such a beautiful job on it. So um, I just want, you know, to get this thing to go with it that, like, this, you know, it's like a the video to go with it, this animated video to go with it, to just be perfect to do the song justice. Yeah. Mm. So, will, so will little Nas X be tweeting out, I want to... <laughs> I'll co-headline Coachella with Jeff Klein next year. So maybe we do it instead of the Wiggles. A little bit of topical reverence. And was because it was Mark Lanigan, I know, uh, who obviously passed. I know. Yeah, he recorded a track for. He, wrote, he recorded this beautiful song um, that I have. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to use it now, which is a bit sad. I'm sorry for your loss as well, because I know you were tight with Mark. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, like, it was, it was an, a mate, but, like, he was some, he was an artist that I'd worked with, one of the favourite artists that I'd worked with. And when I reached out to him about recording this, he'd just come out of the hospital for COVID and, you know, told me about, like, the experience that he'd had in hospital. And at the time, he asked me not to say anything because he was writing a book about it, which has now come out. He'd had a really awful time. And then he dropped off the face of the earth for a bit. And then he resurfaced. And he'd been in between that, had been back into hospital because he'd had another really intense incident with COVID complications. And so that was really, really full on. There's been a lot of, like, adverse i mean some of the people that i'm waiting on now have had really tough things happen in their lives which is why i'm like okay you know just in your own time you know you let me know yeah fingers crossed it really does sound like something that would capture a lot of people's imagination and possibly a whole new generation of people of kids you know to introduce them to these artists i hope so that was the idea behind it and you know that everyone on it is such a beautiful artist and i kind of chose people that for their energy that like I'd worked with and you know coming out of like motherhood and I had a difficult pregnancy and I had some quite tough um, experiences around that like I just wanted to work with the artists that I felt safe with and everyone on it is an artist that I just like really love who they are as well as a person that was really important to me that it wasn't just like about big names or it was actually about like having really gorgeous experiences with these people and drew mcconnell who is who's one of the founder members of baby shambles we were in a band back when i was a musician years he plays with like liam gallagher now as well he was hmm. doing loads but he's recorded a beautiful song on this album um he had record he's recorded on two tracks on the album so i'm really excited about that and then he has an album that is in the works that I'm looking to put out too because it's just like the songs he sent me have just been phenomenal. So, wow. you know, I'm hoping it'll be a nice little segue into other things. I really like like the way that you've summarised your, your career is like you're going from like being a musician to being in management and then working really closely with a bunch of really interesting people and then you kind of leave that and then you find all these different ways to keep working with the people that you really like and the music that you that you really love. So what I'm keen on is now that you've had this sort of 
amazing, you know, star-studded career where you've worked with pretty much everybody famous at some point, it seems. So how do you think the industry has changed as you have changed, you know, but you've still kept all these contacts within the industry? Like with technology arriving and then suddenly people, you know, the whole evolution from CDs and to streaming and the, these different ways, because, you know, obviously you've come up with these great ways of making money or monetizing, you know, to support the artists themselves. But now the whole industry has shifted and the ways of making money are now totally different. I think that's been happening like since what, since like musics were recorded on like piano, like when tracks were played on piano and that was the original like kind of starts mm. of like, you know, publishing. The formats yeah. have just been changing and changing and changing. I think that it's more like, I think the thing that I've noticed more changing since I've been on it is where we place the musician and the artist and you know, the star and celebrity. And I think that has informed so much. I mean, obviously we've had this whole thing with like Apple changing the um, like music platforms and then yeah. streaming. And there's obviously that thing where like it's really hard for new artists to come in and mm. make a living when streaming is a dominant platform. That is like just a given. So that's really, really hard. And I imagine trying to break a new artist right now and get revenue and get like support behind them. You've had to change the way you do that. The artist is still centered in that. So it's still the song. You might have to use sponsorship more, brands more. Mm. I think that has made music a little bit more homogenized and a bit more safe mm -hmm. because if you need to get funding from a brand, then I don't think there's certain things that wouldn't work. But you've had that as well. I mean, look at what Rage Against the Machine pretty much ended up breaking up when like clear channel refused to stop playing any of their tracks and you know so yeah. you've had that a yeah. little really? bit anyway right yeah do you remember like back in the day there was so much controversy about what they were doing and clear channel i'm sure this happened clear channel like banned their all of their songs not that shortly before they broke up and then remember there was a thing with like nwa and then ice t and um cop killer and all of those yeah. things. You've always had that very. There've always been consequences, I guess, if you fall outside the lines because not. Yeah, mm. now you have to look at brands, but at the time you still had like radio stations that had a lot of power, and they had a lot of power in who got played and who got big. You know, and yeah. if you have a major yeah. label behind you, that was very important to them that you kept those those entities on side. So that has been replaced by brands, but it's kind of just a little bit more of the same thing. I'm just quite interested myself in how the star system has changed and how there's, you know, we kind of like stopped polishing our stars, you know. They've become more like us, flaws and all, warts and all are included. Bad behavior is only, is like tolerated to a point. R. Kelly is in jail. I think is interesting and i think healthier i actually think this will make i think it's not healthy for any group of people to feel like they're above the law or they're above consequences no matter how they're treating other people and so i i think it's healthier for the artist because i think there's going to be a little bit of it where it's the case of if you're operating like you are untouchable and you're treating everyone around you like hell and you know, you're abusing people and you feel like you can do that with impunity because you're a star. That doesn't help your own psyche, let alone the people that are on the receiving end of hell. And that's at the extreme, like in the everyday. Like I'm hoping, I mean, I haven't been in it, but I'm hoping that, you know, 
Some stars are less assholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just seem you do seem to be able to find them and work with them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've, I mean, I've had like a, I feel like I've been quite lucky. I've had some bad experiences, but I think I was in the industry when the music industry was like the wild west. Qualifications are coming into it. There's a bit more of practice um, coming into it. Speaking to management companies over here, seeing how um, people are doing things like that you would see in everyday companies, like there are reviews and there are the structure, there are holiday mm. days. And, you know, I remember working for a company where I was like, how many, how many days holiday we get? It's like, well, I can't give you a date. Yeah. And I just want to know how many days holiday I have in a year so I can plan out when to use it. Well, I can't give you a date. You've just got to ask. And if it's, if it's okay, then I'll let you know. Like that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not cool. And I think that's good, you know, in, in terms of the industry, I just hope there's less people because I think working in management, I've just seen a lot of the, just the abuse and the horribleness that people have had to navigate. Not just my, like, you know, I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about just witnessing this stuff. And I'm hoping that it's going to be better for people now because mm. in order to produce something that's beautiful, there shouldn't be like a whole, line of carcasses left in its wake, you know? Good pull quote. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. <laughs> hey, my dudes, I'm going to do the, the, the wrap-up thing now. Two more minutes of us chatting. What is the song that has hit different for both of you in the last week? I'll start while you guys feel. Gotta Get Up by Harry Nielsen is on Russian Doll, uh, a series I watched and I didn't mind it. I didn't love it. It just it felt a little bit, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm too critical of actors sometimes. <laughs> but uh, it's on a loop. It's a bit of a Groundhog Day thing. And that track, Gotta Get Up, from 1971, from the uh, the, the album Nielsen Schmilson. You guys know it. Gotta get up, gotta get up. Yeah, it's such a jam. And actually, it mixes really well. That one. Yeah, it mixes well with Two Weeks by Grizzly Bear as well, fun fact. Oh, nice, man. Um, That's a great tune. Mm, mm. So I've been vibing on that and got to play it on a really nice sound system at the Forum Theatre the other night and hit the spot. Like, nice to play zeitgeisty tracks to, um, to, to dance floors and to, to warm up crowds as well. So that's been mine. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, well, last night I went at the Thornby Picture House and I launched. I did a Q&A with a Tasmanian band called Iwa and the Vision of Paradise who've just released a 50-minute movie that accompanies their second album, which came out last week. And I've got a single out a track called Vanishing Point from that, which is astonishing. Incredible vocals, great beat to it, but also really great sort of post-punk vibe mixed with lots of Tasmanian wilderness. And cool. uh, it just it was just a magic experience. Yeah, so I've really got that a single out amazing. in Vision of Paradise. So I think they're doing a tour later this year with their record. Yeah. I've heard good things about that band. They played at an Australian Music Prize uh, launch a few, like a short. That's right. They were nominated. Launch. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. And how about you, G G D S? Janelle Slayer. Well, I don't know. Like, um, unfortunately, in the last week, I think I've only been listening to the Chicken Nugget song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did, Did not, not see, see that, that coming. coming. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Like, yeah, I don't get control of the music in the house that often um that's mm. that's resurfaced and the thing that we were listening to today that we've got to um my daughter wants me to play when she comes back from nursery is the what the fox say <laughs> oh yeah what does the that, fox say that's, oh, that's an amazing going. track Jeez. yeah <laughs> oh my oh, god man, i'm so sorry you, jenna 
You never hear Andy get sad. Listen to, oh, listen no. to, listen to the melancholy you, honestly, Andy's. <laughs> you can't put that album of kids' songs out soon enough. I'm sure so I, many parents must be in the same situation. I think I can answer. The, the new Arcade Fire tracks have hit different also for, for, for yes. Jenea. Oh, yeah, there you go. That, that's a good one, yeah. You know what I love? I'm really, like, I'm still really just in that moment of list, like getting that newness of the Lightning 1 and 2. So those are the those are, <laughs> those are better than what the Fox say. But, like, I don't know, it's this weird thing, like, I'm noticing with kids, like, no matter what country you're in, they're listening to the same songs. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Right? And they're not yeah. discovering them through any specific way. It's usually word of mouth or friends. Mm-hmm. So I've come from Australia and being Australian, I'm like, you know, my friend's kid, like, stay my friend and her boy's listening to like the same thing. Like my daughter's listening to like Imagine Dragons is a big one, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I've had to wow. hear on repeat coming over here. And it's the same songs and it's the same chicken nugget song. It's the same. The duck song. Have you heard the duck song? Not heard the duck song. No. No. <laughs> Fluffy unicorns dancing on rainbows is another one. Sure. Um, there's a song called There's a song called Tippy Toes from Sing the Sing Two soundtrack, which we've been pumping in the car with my two daughters lately. It's really cool. Tippy toes, tippy toes. It's it's a pisser. Like it's really. Okay, okay, I'm gonna, uh, it's, we're gonna watch. Yeah. We're watching Sing Two this weekend for movie nights. So that might be one that comes off there. So hopefully, yeah. Because tonight when we she gets home, we, it's gonna be what the fox saying probably on repeat. I'm trying to get her into other things. Like, so she's really into Imagine Dragons and they all love that thunder. I think it's because it's so, the syncopation in Imagine Dragons is very intense and kids seem to love that. She got into the, what's one, that thunder song. So, um, she loved that. And like saying in Australia, like all the kids over there love that. They did like a, <laughs> a, some kind of mashup thing with, um, Khaled with his young, dumb and broke. Like they've got a mix up of that song with thunder. And so I've tried to get her more into that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I also want to sing, like, just quickly, I Love You by Fontaine's DC. That's one, probably my favourite track of their new album. And um, Little Jackie's The Whole World Should Revolve Around Me. Unreal. I think we all, we all need the catharsis of rock and roll right now, so that's a nice reminder to take us back to the... I believe someone called the guitars quite sexual earlier. <laughs> like a geography teacher. Check it out. <laughs> hey, uh, Janae, you've given us incredible thoughts on, and as well, Andy Hazel on debut uh, on the Lady Gaga track, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. And you know why it sucks, it's shortcomings, but you know, on a less punching down level, the truths that we'd like to hear in Gaga and, and that kind of character playing and we also talked about Arcade Fire's return and uh, more broadly, a mid-career artists returning to stuff that they've previously done and giving it a bit of a, a new shine, but also finding authenticity in that. And then Janaea told us all about her sort of making her way up in, into the world. And, you know, I'm, I, you took us into that boardroom, honestly, with, with that, that pin drop moment with a guy kind of like, you know, probably scratching his balls and sort of shaking his head at you. And then you sort of, you know, really throwing, throwing chalk <laughs> into his face, I believe, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> metaphorically. So, yeah, they just can't thank you enough for, uh, for giving us your time, my love. And we'd love you to just come on again. You know, every few months, it's just we'd love to, to set aside some time for us. That's lovely. All right, listeners, we'll tell everybody about Hit Different. Tell everyone about Janaea Turner and Andy Hazel. You can find them on the socials and, and look them up and send them some love. And, uh, yeah, let's all keep healing together and dropping the cynicism. It feels good. Mm-hmm.